it's time for our kids' corner today. And uh, if I could have the kids, I don't think we need to come quite as far forward. I think we're going to stand down here. I want to try and play a game today. How about that? So, and the game is going to be kind of kids versus adults. What do you think? I think we can beat them, I'm pretty sure. Now, actually, let me tell you a little bit more about the game and why I want to structure it this way. You see, today's lesson is about ideas and images and the things that we put kind of through the picture of our mind, right? And one of the things that you're going to find as you grow older is your ideas about things change. So I need you guys to tell us where you're at right now, and then we're going to hear from the adults back here, some of, their, some of their ideas about these ideas. How about that? So ideas kind of tend to be a rascally thing because they're sort of hard to define. So like if I ask you, going to bed, what comes to mind? <laughs> now that's not fair out here. Go, go ahead. You can talk into, can, can you talk into there, or is that too loud? What do you think? It's Going to bed is boring. What do you, what do you think? <laughs> kind of, yeah. Is going to bed ever fun? No, not really. All right, adults, what do you think when you think of going to bed? Is that, <laughs> oh, yes. All right, okay. How about taking a bath? What do you think on this one? Is that a lot of fun, going in the shower and washing all 2,000 parts or however that goes, right? Any ideas over here? Not really. So how about going around stinky? Is that okay? Or? No, 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 not, not, not that one. Okay. That's sort of surprising, though, that you might say. How about taking a bath or, ah, oh, Relaxing. Perfect, right? But, you know, beyond kind of the funny stuff here, um, you know, we really run our lives based on these ideas. Like, for example, if I ask, what comes to your mind when you hear the word freedom? What does that make you think about? Being free, yes. Kind of doing whatever you want or... How about out here? Doesn't that entail responsibility, right? So, you know, that notion evolves as we get older. That's kind of what I'm trying to say. How about love? Can you define love, really? What do you think on that one? Oh, I feel like I'm putting you guys on the spot here pretty hard. Huh? Love is... You know, even adults have a hard time with that one. It was once said that no one can define it, but you'd know it when you're in it, right? But what do you think? These things really do play... How we think about these ideas plays a big role in how we take life as it comes to us. What about fitting in? Is that important? Or 
or being cool. No, <laughs> not, not yet. So, you know, and one last, and then I want to switch to images. Actually, let's just switch to images here. So an image is something that you can really see, something maybe concrete. Like, for example, this flag is an image, right? What, what comes to mind when you see an American flag? Yeah, what comes to mind? Red, white, and blue. The colors, sure, right? What else? Come, anything else? How about out here? What do you think? Freedom. Good news, maybe. Home, right? You know, our country, we build it, we decide. Maybe all of these things, right? You know, so images and ideas tend to be very powerful things. Now, just one last question for you, and it goes kind of like this. If you think about it, what do you think the best age to be is? <laughs> Zero. So you want to go back to being a newborn? Not, no, not really. Any ideas? 21? Why 21? Yeah, because you're free, but are you really free at 21, or is that when the responsibility really kicks in? <laughs> Okay, guys, thanks for playing along with me. Why don't we go have a seat here a second? And I think actually if I were going to pull the audience out here what the best age to be is, I'm not sure I've reached it yet because it seems to me it keeps getting better. I don't know, can somebody set me straight here on when that stops happening or does it keep going that way? I... For where you are now, that's right. Uh, and... And partly because all of those ideas have had a chance to kind of work themselves through. You know, how many of us out here get out of bed in the morning and worry about whether or not we're going to be cool today? <laughs> Thank goodness that stage is over, right? Yep. But, you know, images, and every Sunday we come in here and we sit in front of this beautiful window up here, Artwork is rich with imagery, you know? I mean, try and imagine all of the different aspects and things that you can take out of a painting, you know, or in this case, our window, which is based on the painting, right? Um, so these things play a big role in how we view the world around us. The ultimate freedom we have as people, actually, is the power to select what we allow our minds to dwell on. Really, there is no boundary, if you consider it, except that we put one in there. You know, uh, I, I hate to kind of bring up Invictus as an example to this because it was purely written from an atheistic perspective. But on one hand... Um, Edward's right when he writes that my mind is unconquerable. 
you know, I decide whether or not you're getting to me. I decide whether or not I'm winning at life. I decide. You know, um, well, that's not maybe quite uh, accurate from a Christian perspective, and that's a subject for another sermon, but Thomas Aquinas was a Christian, and he put it this way, that our thoughts are our own realities, that we control the reality around us to quite, a, quite an extent. It, it, it was in our thought life, in fact, that we first turned away from God. And so it is with our thought life that we need to come back to God. As thought life is the gatekeeper to the heart and the will, and we've talked about that kind of repeatedly. But biblically speaking, what I want to talk about today is the mind, that is, thinking, and what the mind encompasses, at least from a biblical perspective. Basically, when the Bible talks about mind, it's talking about four things, ideas and images, which include memories and perceptions, or information, or just plain old thinking, as we would call it, or rational thought. Thoughts can evoke a feeling. Oh, actually, let me go back a notch here. What's surprisingly not part of the mind from a biblical perspective is emotion. Now, you know, you and I in the Western world tend to think of our feelings as happening up here in our head. But the biblical authors envisioned feelings as more happening out in the body elsewhere. Love happens here in the heart, you know, and, and hatred in the face and in the fists, you know, right? Um, that these are bodily reactions. Uh, and, you know, things, matters of the body, like emotion, are seen almost, you know, biblically as we would see an addiction, kind of, in the West. And I will hit that, too, at another time. But today, I want to talk about thoughts and, I'm sorry, about ideas and images, uh, because these things are really very powerful and often take control of how we react to things without us even realizing it. You see, ideas include general beliefs about realities, ways of thinking about things, or ways that we approach life and its dilemmas. And idea systems, as I was trying to demonstrate here, sort of grow over time, but they're also a cultural relic. You know, they grow considering our culture around us. So that's why, you know, when I ask a child, a kid, what they think about bedtime out there, we all know the answer to this already. We've gone through it. It's a cultural thing. We get it. Our own, you know, basically through ideas, and images, we create our own symbolic reality, which we then superimpose on the world. This is what Aquinas is talking about, actually, when he says that our ideas control and our thoughts control a lot more than we think they do. For all their importance and power, however, ideas can never be capable of a precise definition. And by the way, some of these ideas also include things like Christian church, God. God himself is an idea 
as we envision what God is in our mind. Because ideas are so slippery and kind of hard to define, at least definitively, it's difficult for most people to even get a hold of the ideas in their lives, let alone realize what control they have. Now, images are closely associated with ideas, but they're always concrete. In other words, when we have a memory, it isn't really very vague. It's rather detailed. When we envision ourselves in the new car, it's really rather detailed. When we envision what buying, you know, the magic project product advertised on television is going to do for us, it's a rather detailed image that we put in our mind. Imagination is kind of ideas taken to the concrete. An image can be very decisive. Churches split over the image of traditional versus contemporary. You know, suddenly the guitar and pipe organ are no longer merely musical instruments, but they symbolize a whole bunch more. And they start to symbolize things even beyond what they really symbolize. For those who lived through the 60s, maybe the guitar conjures up the image of the hippie or the rebellion or something that seems like it has no place at all in church. So in the case of church, however, we ought to remember that we have one of the most potent images of all time, the cross. The cross is the other, in one hand, represents the utter lostness of mankind, the depravity and even the deserved punishment. You know, how many of us hear that, you know, a criminal is, is going to his execution and in the back of our minds think, he ought to. Good. The system is working. That's the cross on one hand. Yet on the other, it's the Lamb of God. God reaching down to us and making the sacrifice to us. And yet on another hand, it calls us to live in total abandonment to us in favor of God. Images and ideas are also the primary stronghold of evil in the natural human self. That is, until we put God there, the images that we put in our mind without God focus solely on self. They determine how we take the events of life. They control the meaning that we assign to the things that we deal with and they can act as a set of blinders that focus us on one direction while keeping us seemingly oblivious to that which seems so obvious often to everyone around us. How often have we wondered, you know, gee, this guy, well, he, he, he took $40,000 from the till. How could he think no one, that he would ever get away with that? Well, those blinders keep him blind to what seems to be so patently obvious to the rest of us. Accordingly, images and ideas are the primary focus of Satan's efforts to defeat God's purpose for and through humanity. That is, 
This the basic concept of temptation is the idea that God, through his commandments, is denying me something. We envision or image or imagine our non-deprived self and we take matters into our own hands. In this way, images increase the danger of empowering wrong ideas. They're the domain of the fashion industry and advertisement, which isn't necessarily bad. However, they're also the domain of propagandist and the pornographer. Because of the fundamental difference of human ideas versus God's ideas, we need our spiritual, we need this spiritual transformation or this renovation of the heart or being born again, whatever you want to call it. It's called all of these things at various places in the Bible. But spiritual transformation must involve replacing evil ideas and evil systems. It's got to kick out the, oh yes, of course, this is going to happen to me, and replace it with, God's got a plan, you see. So, by the way, one of the primary reasons for that, have you ever noticed, or maybe you've heard this, actually I'm going to ask, have you heard this? Who, who believes that everyone else cheats? Isn't that the cheater themselves? Right? Or who has heard, you know, everyone lies? Who thinks everyone else is a liar? Isn't that usually the liar themselves? Right? These things tend to mirror us and then act as kind of a, an okay, well, everybody does it sort of excuse. So these are, these is, this is the reason why it's so important to get rid of these ideas and replace them. Paul says our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but rather against the rulers, the powers, the world forces, spiritual forces of wickedness in this dark world. That's from Ephesians 6.12. But by the way, when Paul is talking about rulers and powers, he's not talking about human government. That would be flesh and blood. The king is a real person, right? Um, he's talking about the ruling ideas of our world, the controlling images of our world. By contrast, we Christians are rescued from the power of these dark forces and transferred to the kingdom of light through Jesus Christ. That's Colossians 1.13. That was my prayer this morning. And we get there by letting this mind be in you that is also in Christ Jesus. That's from the reading in Philippians earlier. We're transformed by the renewing of our mind. Genuine conversion of governing ideas, we know it's difficult. And it could actually be wrenching at times. In the natural human, it usually only occurs when it's necessitated by a personal crisis, a mental breakdown, some catastrophe of some sort. And even in the Christian, 
those things are necessary sometimes to push it further along. Only then can we do the deep self-probing necessary to discover what we actually believe God is. And this happens also on a group level sometimes. But anyway, I want to kind of hop back here a second. Jesus warned that this can cause deep and permanent damage to the most intimate relationships. That's Luke 12, 51 and 53. It's why Christians have traditionally been and still are are persecuted. Look at our own experience. Like, for example, look at the 1960s or the millennial shift that's going on right now among young people. Um, Were these times that separated families? Well, absolutely. Sadly, you know, that's happening again in our day. You know, but by the way, you know, we shouldn't be okay with the idea that people that choose to be different from us, we shouldn't be okay with just letting them go. We are, after all, called to be the center of love in our community. And it is and should be a loss to us. Anyway, this change that Jesus is describing is the equivalent of an earthquake in the soul. It's what it means to be shaken or or sifted. And, you know, earthquakes in prophecy are times when God shows up in the human world to reshape the landscape. You know, look, aren't we called to have faith that can move mountains? Well, earthquakes literally move the mountain, right? What's being sifted out? Well, old and failing ideas ideas that can no longer stand in light of Jesus Christ. And as our reality of Jesus expands, our ideas about God's role must change. Jesus Christ and Christianity confronted and still confront and undermine the natural man's world idea system. And therefore, they undermine the culture around us. Jesus Christ was crucified for this reason. And the resurrection is the ultimate defeat of this old system. It's the basis for perpetual revolution in every human heart. And we set the Lord continuously before us so that we won't be shaken in Psalm 16.8. So we are to take the thoughts and ideas of this world captive and bend them toward Christ. Spiritual reformation moves toward a total interchange of our ideas and images for gods. We are described as being lost and dead in our ideas, but being alive again in God, living out his plan by exchanging our ideas for his. And this should be the goal of our spiritual reformation. See, in this world, you will have troubles, but take heart. That is, be encouraged. Jesus has overcome this world. He has totally defeated the idea systems of our world.